Harry Talks, episode 51. Once again, we're hopping around the country, hopping around the world. We're going over this week. Wow, we've been on the weekly podcast as well. It says a lot about my grind at the moment. Um, but this week we are hopping to our noisy neighbours over in Nam. And we've got a very special guest today, someone I've admired heavily for a long time and seeing him flourish now as a producer, doing his own thing under his own terms is super special. He's recently released one of my favorite dance songs of the year, putting it in every single mix. You know, when the house parties come back for that little stint, it's gonna be everywhere. And I'm so excited for that to happen, especially in the live space. Um, the song's called Silk. It's out now via Steel City Dance Discs. But but this isn't about me. This isn't about my my fanning. This is about my boy Mokta, my man. How you doing? Good, man. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. No worries. It's a pleasure. I'm hanging in there, I think. <laughs> I think that's the universal response at the moment. Just, yeah, just living. Um, but yeah, Silk is out. What responses or do you think, what do you think has been the most rewarding part of, you know, having this song out in the world at the moment? Uh definitely just being able to just kind of share my experience you know I, I've been coming to terms in the last couple of years so like you know it, it's it's I've had like a huge delayed response you know when something happens to you and you don't really think about it but in the last couple of years I feel like a lot of things that have had happened to me in the past are only just really start to brew like you know in the last couple of years and I feel like a lot of that has a lot to play with like my music now because I'm like going back to my roots um really finding my feet and especially my sound you know which is plays a big part of this project definitely and I think in terms of how it's come to be because like you've hinted already there at a lot of reflection was it reflection, realization, finding personal identity, and then the Mokhtar project was born? Or was it you started thinking about having the Mokhtar project and then through that you started reflecting a lot and coming to where you are now? Yeah, it's um, a good question. Um, that's It honestly came from me trying to um, figure out what I wanted to do. So drawing, you know, um, I come from like, you know, Polygraphia, um, my old projects. And then from there, I went into Polisher co collaboration with Winston Sefcia. So I've always had this, um, you know, kind of like a background of like, you know, really like a hip hop, like, you know, neo soul and bit of disco funk type of side. But, um, you know, when I started thinking about a new project, uh, I, I had like a lot of trouble trying to, make anything work that made sense for me um like i went for a lot of different type of demos that sound so different but um at the end of the day like i always was trying to slowly you know put in you know arabic stuff um my dad is a composer um and he his main role is a conductor for orchestras so this guy, uh, he, he's worked with so many like amazing um, artists in the Middle East. So he's got like this catalog of just, just like really cool uh, Arabic, you know, sounding uh, music, which made me be like, fuck, I got like this gold mine of shit that I can actually sample. 
Um, so I tried to like force that into it. Um, and that's like where it started, you know, uh, for me being like, oh, fuck, okay, this is actually going somewhere and I'm really enjoying it. And during that time, I really started to notice like, you know, DJ played more and, you know, being able to just like figure out like, just like this whole like new world that I've been just like kind of neglecting because like I I was so distracted with this whole Triple J stuff for such a long time. And when I say Triple J, like it, there's just like this whole genre mm-hmm. of like, you know, it's just like, there's just like a certain way uh, Triple J works and they're an amazing platform. But I think for me, I was always pigeonholed. Like I had this four presses of like, oh, how, how am I going to like, you know, make it onto Triple J rotation, you know, like I'm not thinking about, you know, music anymore in that sense. I'm like, got so distracted about like Triple J um, that I feel like it drove me in such a far direction. And like, I, I just didn't focus so much about like what I actually needed. And yeah, like this project was just kind of like a therapy session, like within myself to figure out that. And yeah, it's, it is like, big journey you know Definitely. come to terms of like all, all that all those type of sounds and we'll, we'll dig into it as well but i think one important note to think about that i'm thinking about now is was um like deep driven club music um always a part of your personal taste or do you think that you found that again recently or it's resurfaced um you know what drove you to head into that lane which is like almost the entire opposite even though dance music stands music, but in terms of in that realm, it's like the total opposite of what might get commercial or national radio play. So when did that, um, when did heading in that direction come into the, you know, strategic thinking of it all? Um, so like I, I started off as a DJ, you know, funny enough. Um, and so like, I've always was really heavily into like dance music um, and DJ. And, you know, as I like, was progressing, like, progressing as like a musician, like an, an artist, like that's when I started to go more to the live part of it. So yeah, like it, it's, it's only just uh, up until like, you know, I had time to really uh, think about, you know, more than just like polygraphia, what's that ended. That's when I started to like dwell back, you know, going back to like what I knew and like just forgot how much I actually loved it, you know? uh like i've always been like a huge fan of so many people like uh james blake and mount kimby who like those guys started off as djs and they pro you know eventually made it live so i was always was just like yeah drawn to that uh element but with with what i want now i'm just like i don't want to do anything live like i feel like i've done enough of that um and there's probably like no better feeling like just being able to just tour with just a USB, which is really appealing as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, you know, it definitely resurfaced in the last couple of years and it, it's just all I do now, you know, and yeah. Perfect. Sorry. I'm, I'm, and for the listeners as well, um, if you ever feel like there are gaps between me and Mock just speaking, it's because I don't want to, we don't want to interrupt. Like it's obvious, it's easy on Zoom to just like, be like, I think he's finished talking. So I'm just going to hop in and then he's not. So yeah, if there's any gaps, that's why. Um, 
I think one big funny thing about that, and you, and you quote James Blake and Matt Kimby, um, is that people in underground dance communities always forget that like these big dance names in the more commercial world are still like a lot of them do come from really strong underground dance roots and have really strong tastes in like incredible, you know, club music that is independent and is niche, but their outlet is just different. Like, and people just like misconflate that or like, they just like, it's so easy to judge an artist based on what they're making and assume their taste. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, um, Jamie XX, like, you know, another guy, like that, that guy is still like, you know, DJing, but like, yeah, he's, he, he kind of like comes from like, like foundation is, you know, club music, you know? It's the, it's the power of club music, man. <laughs> um, I think, I think Silk is a great, yet yeah, it almost sums up everything we've spoken about already because it is a club banger at the start, but it does obviously get super atmospheric and quite reflective for me in the way that I engage with it. Um, so is that a similar reasoning why Silk was the perfect introduction for the Mokta project? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, I, I wanted to be able to use those elements of like, you know, taking, taking the track and making it like blend in uh, as a journey. Like you, you're not just starting off with just like the same elements like I, I really wanted to just be like okay let's just like really kick this track off and like you know get people's attention um and like gradually just you know slowly just get just really um melodic um and you know start introducing like actual like live instruments into it because uh, I, I find that like I'm still drawn to a lot of the stuff and it, it's just something I'm just used to as well. So I, I wanted to take advantage of that. Definitely. Um, and back onto those, you know, earlier projects, um, on a positive note, was there like a beauty in the creative freedom of, you know, like almost the anonymity of it or writing for others? Um, you know, what are those things, you know, from your songwriting background help now about the way you make and create music as Mokta? I think it like I, I'm not limited to just sticking to one sound, you know. Like uh, I, I think producing uh, for people was like a, a really good thing for me because when I was in Polygraphia, I did tend to just I'll make a demo and the next day I'll I'd make something else and it'll sound slightly you know slightly off, you know. Like it, it didn't really fit that genre and being able to write for people gave me that space to be like, oh shit, like I can actually just splurge out in like, you know, hip hop or like, you know, something that's a bit more rocky or whatever. And like, I really enjoyed that. So with this uh, project, like, I don't think I'm gonna give myself any limitations. You know, I, I think I'm just gonna, give myself this open book to be able to just, if I feel like doing this today, like that's the direction that's going to go. Definitely. And with that, was there like a specific moment or a period and especially like launching a project in these times is super hectic, but was there a specific moment or period in that transition that you realized like now's the time 
that like what was that moment like when you've realized yeah like this is what my musical project wants to be this is what mokta sounds like like was it a song was it a moment of reflection what was that trigger point um yeah silk uh, silk was the first one you know silk was just like one of those tracks where i'm like oh fuck like i i, I think i can actually like i feel like this is going somewhere um, and for a while, like when I was sitting on it for a few months, just to myself, I hadn't sent it to anyone. I was still quite hesitant about like, uh, it wasn't too sure if this would still work, you know? Um, and I think it only made sense to others when I, you know, really start, started to describe like the meaning behind the tracks, because most of my work is like, I, I, try to really visualize something, you know, with it. So like, if, if it's something that's quite important to me, it, it needs to have like, you know, a certain video to go with it. Because I don't think those type of elements would really bring the track to life as well. So like, I, I try to really make sure that, you know, if something that's gonna, you know, not be so clubby um, or like, you know, something that's just gonna be quite chill, the meaning behind it is also just going to be just as powerful, you know. Definitely. And I, like, this might be a tricky question to ask or like a, like a weird one to ask, but do you ever, even so early on, you've revealed a lot about yourself and, and the way Silk reflects that. Um, was it, is it challenging to like put your heart on the line and describe a song instead of just said, letting it sit in the ether? Like, was that process of writing that Instagram caption like a difficult or challenging one or is it natural to just be like just to wear the heart on the sleeve and just to give it all and put it all out there? Um, honestly, like if you asked me that a year ago, uh, I would have said it would have been really difficult uh, just because I, I, I find it really difficult to talk about myself or like my experiences, uh, you know, my experience. It's only just until recently that uh, I've been able to do that. So I'm being able to like build up this confidence like during this project and like going back to like saying like it was kind of like a therapy session to me, um, you know, being able to just slowly like hack into it and just like accepting a lot of things, but also like knowing that I can use this um, in, into my advantage uh, and throw it out to the world into like a positive way. Um, was also something that like really drove me because I'm quite passionate about this project and, you know, a lot of the meaning behind it. Definitely. And I think let's throw it all the way back now. We're, we're like, I'm always like, holy shit. Like I just get lost in the, lost in the source you could say, because it's like, we're just flying. Um, let's throw it all the way back in, in the question. There's no pressure to answer it in full detail, like with specific moments or anything, just whatever you're comfortable to share. But what things specifically, what things externally do you think in Australian culture, either wide or locally for you led to that suppression or resistance of you finding your identity throughout your upbringing? You know, like what specific actions or, you know, the Australian narrative um, sort of just like suppressed that and condensed that and contained it for you? Um, when I think about it, it, it's not a hard question, uh, to answer. Like it's, uh, would be the Cronulla riots, 
um, living in the Sutherland Shire, you know. So that to me uh, really did change a lot for me. And most of those experiences, like I actually didn't realize how bad it was. You know, like sometimes I forget, like, which is weird, but um, I think that has a lot to do with like me su su suppressing that because I always played it off like it was just like, yeah, like that, that happened. Like I, I didn't really think much of it because most of my friends, like, you know, none of us really talked about it. Like it was like a very unspoken thing. Like I was, I didn't have like a group of people where I can talk, like could be able to like express. So um, I did suppress a lot of that and got used to that idea, you know, and I don't think it affected me as much as I realized now, because I just played it off like it was like whatever. But yeah, like, you know, as I got older, I think that's when it started to resurface, you know, as an adult, you know, things started to like become real and, you know, and I'd be like, oh, fuck, that, that happened. Or like, you know, like I start thinking about things, but, um, yeah, that's the big realization, you know, from think, definitely that experience. I think, I think in Australian, like the Australian narrative of culture, it's, I don't want to say, for lack of a better word, slept on in terms of it was such a critical moment for Australia to reflect on multiculturalism and people of migrant backgrounds and the fact that they are as Australian as some, you know, surf lifesaver on Cronulla beach. And I think a big, like there was a big conversation that needed to be had. And that I think people were really having now for some reason that, you know, like maybe just the way politically things have changed about culture and identity, but it's, it's, underrated in terms of how negative the impact of that was and like especially for someone that was a bit younger that might have missed it in its full you know brunt we still need to be having those conversations as young people because you know how much has really changed because it's been such a short amount of time um like you know growing up in the shire like i can tell you like a lot has changed like a lot of right. people that i grew up with have changed but it's still not like close to to what it should be you know like it, it is still a lot of room for work and you know i think i i do see that change um and i've seen the progression in southern shire but yeah like you know back when back when i was young like i was the only egyptian kid you know i i didn't like I, all, all I was more focused about is like, you know, trying to be someone I'm not to fit in. Uh, and like, it, it worked in some levels, you know, like, you know, I got really into surfing and, you know, I got really into like growing my fringe out and like, you know, I, I really tried hard to um, find like this identity. Uh, and yeah, I, I didn't realize how much it, it was, you know, such a struggle for me. Cause um, yeah, I didn't have like a great, time like going to school and like people would ask me why and I couldn't really answer that because I didn't know why yeah or, like you know I my experiences were just like different 
and a lot of the people like who I'm still friends with to this day, like I, I could tell they knew something was up, but they also couldn't understand, you know. Definitely. But um, yeah. Um, how much of that do you think? And there's obviously a big silver lining lining to this, um, of course that we'll talk about after as well. Um, how much of it do you think? like processes and moments like that in your youth, almost like delayed. Do you think that it was a big part in delaying your realization and becoming Mokta as a musician and as a person? Or do you think that it would have taken you this time regardless to get to this level of realization and reflection? Um, I think it was pretty delayed just because I was so caught up in like being like Australian in that sense of, you know fitting in that i i was so like that's that i just became this person you know like a you know i was so different to like whenever i would hang out with all my cousins or whatever i I was like the black sheep you know like i you know i spoke differently like i was just i dressed differently you know um like you know even they would like make fun of me so like I was just like getting it from like both worlds and I was just like, I don't know what to do. Like I'm trying to fit in, but um, yeah, like, you know, uh, just to be able to accept that, like I, I hated Arabic music, you know, funny enough. I, di- I didn't like it because it, it was just like, it's not English. Like I was embarrassed by it, you know, it was just, I was definitely suppressing like a lot about that. And I feel like I'm just like relearning everything. like going back to like all the years that I've like missed, at, you know, appreciating my culture. And this for, for me, it's like, um, like I'm like a crazy new experience in my life. Like I, I feel like a lot of these feelings that I'm going through now is actually really exciting because uh, I'm just coming at it from a different angle. Definitely. And to tap more into that as well. Um, is there still, and like, it's, it's weird to say, obviously there is no real positive to come out of an experience like that, but it might, must be incredibly awesome to reflect on and find culture now with a wiser and, you know, stronger set of eyes having experienced so much and taking that forward through your music, um, obviously probably has positively impacted the way you're experiencing it now, I assume. Yeah, you know, like I, I feel, I feel good, you know, like, I, like, and for the first time, like, I feel so comfortable, like being able to just, like, it's like, I'm going to use this as an example. It's literally the feeling of like when you buy something new and you're just like, you're like, fuck yeah, like you feel good, you know, like you're going out and you're wearing it for the first time and you, you, you feel different. You know, things look different for some reason. Um, and you, it gives you, like, that confidence, like, to just, like, be out there and, like, kind of show it off, whatever. Like, that, that's literally how I feel, like, in my own skin now. Like, I, I just, like, I feel like everything I do now is just, like, I've got no shame behind it, you know. Like, I'm just feeling great about it. Definitely. I think... One, I think, important note to make from my perspective and I'll open the floor for you to agree or disagree with it as well. 
after I say it, is that even though you're telling your Egyptian story and your heritage story and your personal identity story, I think what people need to understand as well, which is so important about stories like this from people of migrant backgrounds, is that you're telling a fundamentally Australian story. Like your story is an Australian story. And do you see that um, as a part of your, you know, and you might not have thought about this, but is that the impact you want to make with the Mokhtar project to show and to flaunt that, like, this is, just, this is like a new Australia. This is what being Australian is actually about and it's embracing other cultures. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, even though, um, you know, growing up in the Shire was so traumatic, it was actually such like one of the best times of my life, you know, as well. Like it, it's like my upbringing was just like equally is just bad and good, you know, like, like I love being Australian. I love everything about Australia. Like I, like this is my home, you know, I, I feel so Australian as much as I feel Egyptian, you know? So yeah, like, you know, being able to just like reflect, um, you know, my past, like I wouldn't change, you know, I wouldn't prefer to just be just like, you know, Egyptian. You know, this is such a big part of who I am. Definitely. And yeah, I think it's super interesting because um, it's, it, we're seeing this, I don't know, maybe it's just a timing thing or a cultural change, but we're seeing a lot of diverse artists telling diverse stories, especially, and I think the dance community is sort of lagging with this just because of like, it takes a lot of privilege to even be able to be involved in a dance community, which in itself is a whole other hour conversation, but especially in hip hop and the R&B space within Sydney or Melbourne and Brisbane, we're seeing a lot more diverse voices come out and enter that Australian music space. And I think it's really changing the identity of how the world sees Australia because so much of what the world saw Australia was like Tame Impala, which is like, as just like chill white people making guitar music. But I think people, I think the art side of it is so important because that's the face of Australia for so many things, which, and you're part of that story and you're just as much a part of that story as like one four is which is, I think, super exciting and what I'm so proud of about this project because, you know, like being a Greek kid trying to work in like the music industry or engage with Australian music to go see live music, I had to compromise my taste and myself because I was like, hang on, there's no one that looks like me at these festivals, performing mm -hmm. at the festivals or being in the crowd at the festivals. So it's super interesting to see that it's changing in the focus of what, you know, a city like Sydney looks like is changing because the arts are pushing it so far forward. And I think the dance community still has a lot of work to do in that world. But yeah. I think with stories like yours, I think it's pushing it forward. Yeah, you know, it's definitely like, like you notice it, you know, like you, you know, I've been going to festivals for like a few years now and you notice it, you know. Um, and yeah, like you're right, like there are, there are you know, those guys out in the West, like, you know, like one crew and there's so many, like, you know, amazing artists coming out of that side right now and they're embracing their sound, you know, the sampler and, you know, a lot of those type of people where I'm like, I get inspired by that, you know? Um, and I think it's cool. Cause like, you know, the more of that 
that is happening. Like I, I have noticed more people like come out and just embrace their culture as well, which is awesome to see. Why do you think, and like, this is this, like, we could get either philosophical here or the answer could just be, I have no idea. But why do you think the past couple of years has seen that upbringing of like new diverse Australian music? Do you think it's like a wide, like a big macro cultural change of like accepting these sounds or is it more like a fundamental thing, like access to technology and stuff like that? Uh, you know, like, yeah, uh, like social media technology has a big part of, you know, connecting people. So like being able to have access to, to, to see what's going on right now, you know, like on the other side of the globe, it's easy and people have access to, to able to just do their thing and, you know, upload a video or whatever. Uh, I find that like, you know, times are changing, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm walking around, you know, Melbourne now I'm no, I'm noticing more like, you know, Egyptian restaurants, you know, I, I could literally count like two or three, re- you know, Egyptian restaurants, like back when I was a kid, but like it, there was just like certain trends that are popping off and, you know, it all, it's like, oh, it's cool to like, you know, do a certain thing that wasn't cool like 10 years ago. Um, that's definitely, you know, I think it's just like, you know, people are just coming around to it. People are more, you know, open to things and there's like less shame behind it as well. And I, and I feel like it's cool to be different as well. You know, like I, I, I feel like I have this, I guess like, like, I don't know, like I feel like I have an advantage for some reason at the moment, just because for so long, like I, I didn't really feel like I felt like I had an opportunity or like people would hear me. But right now, like people are listening. Um, and I feel like I, I can, you know, tell my story. Definitely. But I, 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 I'll challenge you on that because I don't think it's an advantage in identity or <laughs> like just because you are different. I think it's always going to be just owning your identity no matter what it is. And if you're willing to put that identity show and wear it on your sleeve, like you could be, you know, and like this isn't a criticism at all. You could be the whitest person in Australia. And if you wear that identity in your sleeve and you target that market and you kill it and you're relatable and you own that identity and you criticize that identity and you reflect on that identity, people are going to draw to that as well. So I think there's a big uprising in people just loving and embracing and understanding their own identity, which is, I think, where you're winning rather than it being, yeah, you're just different. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree 100%. Um, I think, like, you know, when I was saying uh, this advantage in a sense, like, I don't, I, I just don't know anyone else, you know, like a lot of people in Australia, you know, doing this like I, I wish there were more people who were Middle Eastern wanting to like get into DJing or yeah. like wanting to like start you know writing like crazy bangers or like whatever anything in the music industry like I, I, I just don't see a lot of that like maybe because like yeah like we are definitely disadvantaged <laughs> like yeah. in that sense like where you're coming from and like you know um, but I think it's a good time, like more than ever to really, you know, push for that. 
just because like you know it, it's getting better um it's like it's hard because like i feel like it's hard for me to like you know talk this out because i'm like listening to myself and i'm like maybe i'm also just playing this like lightly you know yeah <laughs> uh, over the matter but uh, i'm trying to see you know the positives in like what i'm doing now yeah do you think that was a big part of the reflection in creating Mokhtar almost like an assessment of what your impact could be in terms of um if i do this do you ever think about sorry i'll frame it as a question do you ever think about if i do this there might be some kid watching in blacktown that is super into this stuff and then hopefully i can change his perspective of what a dj looks like or what an artist looks like was that ever in your thought process or is it a natural consequence now that you're super grateful for um like I haven't been noticing it until recently, you know, uh, about that. Like I, I went into doing this like with like, I don't give a fuck attitude. Like, you know, I, I, I went in this like full blast. Like I was like, I don't, I don't care what people think about me. I'm, I'm just going to do me. I'm going to represent who I am. Um, like you, you take it or you, you know, like when I, when I was sending these demos to people, um, I, I literally like attached this like this is what it's gonna be like nothing's changing yeah like this is this is it like I'm I'm gonna have like full one hundred percent you know creativity like creative ideas behind it like I don't want anyone to like have to come in and tell me what to do and everyone's like yeah cool like you know I came in like really defensive like yeah <laughs> like and I was like yeah sick do it I'm like you're oh, gonna yeah. like it and you have to yeah. like it <laughs> yeah but um. It's not until recently, you know, like, uh, you know, I've been getting like messages from people and people sharing me, like sharing their stories. And that's what's become real, you know, now I'm like, okay, like I, I had no idea. Um, like I would be playing, you know, this little, like, it, like playing this type of narrative for people as well. Definitely. And sidetrack, we're sidetracking now because I remembered just recently you mentioned restaurants. Yeah. And I just want your thoughts, you know. You know, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to answer this for legal reasons. You don't have to answer it. But Cairo, Newtown. Yeah. Is it overrated? In your oh, opinion? Or do you think it's do you think it, it hits the hits the mark? No, okay, look, look, people have asked me this. Like, but I know that's a stereotypical question. I'm that's a that's a that's a shocker question. I'm I'm happy to answer this. Um, look, I don't know much about the the background of who's running the show. I think I think the person is, the person that's like like you know who started is Egyptian, um, and he just kind of like you know he he just started this, you know, and he's got people in the um, running the restaurant. But yes, it it is really good like it's pretty authentic um just because if you ever go in there they're actually using like proper you know the the actual instruments like proper pots like you know that all of that's from Egypt perfect like it, it's just they're doing it right and yeah it, it's I think they've hit it like perfect just like even the falafel like everything I'm about to get blasted now because I know everyone listening and all my friends listening and rightly so are going to be like parry gets an egyptian guy on his podcast 
asks about Cairo. It's like, come on. Like, no, no, it's so fine because, like, I, I, um, look, I, I get, I get annoyed and angry when I, when I do. I'm not going to mention half of these places, but like, man, it, it kills me, you know, to watch some places just hijack, you know, our culture and just, you know, want to make a buck or whatever. Like, it, it frustrates me. And I think what. Uh, reflecting now again, I think the reason I asked it is because I get super defensive about Greek restaurants as well. Like Fair if enough. that if that if that shit doesn't slap me, it's not like if it's not like oh like Greek food in Australia is not Greek food most of the time, like ninety percent of the time. Like oh, anyway, that's my. Uh, it's it's fine. <laughs> like I, I get it. It's frustrating. Um, and I, I feel like I'm like growing more like you know frustrated as time's going because it's just like this huge clap thing going on right now and you know some people like you know see that you know a gap of like an opportunity to take advantage of something and they would do it where like you know I feel like most families you know, who have been around for like, you know, since the eighties doing the exact same thing. Um, they just probably not, they probably just don't have like marble floors or like a cool, like, you know, little like setup, or they don't have like, you know, a cool playlist playing in the background or whatever. I don't know. But like, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we, we, I reckon we spent like, we've spoken about, at least half an hour about identity. And I think that was always my intention with the, with the podcast so far, but as always, and of course, this is this horrible way to, you know, flip the switch now, but that's two things about on Parry talks and our audience, I think, which we always love to dive into it's identity. And then of course the club music. And I think now to transition the silk is out on Steel City Dance Discs. How important was it finding a right home like that? Um, you know, what do you love about the Steel City Dance Disc people or why do you think they're the people that could best get that message across? I think, like, all of those guys, I more grab and, you know, those guys are always been killing it, right? You know, they, they, they just have like this amazing ability of uh, just like getting shit that they want out and they they just smash things out like constantly like, like they have like so many releases and such a huge following um overseas and here at the moment and i know those guys like they're they're so passionate about their record label um and wanting to be able to just like also, you know, I think it's like a good time um, for all of us to be able to expand as well. You know, as a record label for them, I think, you know, progression um, is, is super important and they pretty much have been nailing it um, for the last couple of years. Um, and when they were interested, um, you know, in having me on and like why, you know, they wanted me on, like, I, I felt, you know, they, they were just more hyped on it than I was, you know? And like, I love that about them. Um, and like being able to like work with them has been such a pleasure. 
Um, and I've always been such a huge like fan of more grab and like what he's achieved. So like, yeah, I don't know. Like it, it's just like, I just feel good being able to like be a part of it. Definitely. And like, if, if the labels, not to get too industry, but if the label's more excited than you, then that's like a, a pretty good indication of like, this yeah. Work. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and it is, and it is rare to find that, like genuinely rare to find that sort of attitude. So it's great that it's found a home. Um, also, want to talk about um, moving to Melbourne. This isn't a shade on on Sydney at all, but you know how important was that moving to Melbourne? Maybe it might have just been a change of scenery for you to get more creative, or was it the people you met? Just what things about changing city and changing to a city like Melbourne helped you embrace and flourish as a creative? Um, I've always loved Melbourne and I've always been saying I was going to move regardless. But um, during this time of being in the middle of like finding this polo, uh, finding the Mokta project, I, I just felt uh, drawn to Melbourne and being able to just finish music for some reason um i don't even know if that's like a placebo or like or whatever but i was just like well for some reason it's going really well here i'm just going to stick to that you know the ball's rolling i don't know if it's just in my head or whatever yeah like, you know because i wasn't doing anything different like i'm still like in a room <laughs> writing music it could be anywhere but um i just felt like you know something good about it and I really wanted to also like get into DJing a lot more and like in Sydney, like, as you know, like there's only so much that you can actually do, you know, it's the, there's like a threshold, like at the moment. And I, it's definitely hard. It was definitely really hard for me to like be able to just go out and just like do something or even just watch, you know, people play and like being able to like go out, to a rave or like, you know, to the clubs, like that's also like a big part of like me getting inspired as well, you know? So um, Melbourne for me just seemed like that access, I, I, you know, and it seemed like the right time for me to do that. Definitely. Um, and like, obviously there's a big, there's a lot of personal growth and personal finding, but I think to properly facilitate that, um, you need great people either next to you like supporting that and reflecting on that with you in a, from a supportive point of view and also like people that you look up to that, you know, help that process come along that you could have foresight and like someone to look up to as an inspiration um, generally just with finding yourself. So who are those people, those figures that you think that you just want to give a shout out to that just helped you along that journey and without them might not have been the same. Um, yeah. Jared, like DJ played, like I, I, I keep, been you know telling people um that he's been like a big part he probably doesn't even know that i don't think i've even told him but like he he's like inspired me so much you know yeah to do what i'm doing now just because of like watching him do it you know uh, and like i was like oh you can actually do this like yeah but yeah you know dj plead and you know josh like you know set one even like yeah, it's just like just to be able to um, 
have those guys like you know uh, a part of like this journey has been like so helpful you know it's all about the community totally 100%. um and well this has been very rapid 40 minutes 40 couple of minutes <laughs> so we'll start wrapping it up but i think an important last note to end on before we start asking silly questions is um what do you think and like you can just talk as freely and as glossingly as you want about this but what's so empowering and powerful about djing for you and returning to that medium you know what were those things that you're missing from it that you did just want to re-engage with and just dive all the way back in so like we just pretty much the question is what do you love about djing sorry what was that what do you love about djing oh man everything just like being able to just drop whatever you want at any moment yeah you know like uh, and just having that freedom like something about djing is just like you just feed off people like you know you, you just get like the reaction you get off people just has the ability to just give you like all these like superpowers for some reason, you know? Um, and that's like the biggest part, like, you know, it, like, look, I could be at like anywhere. I could literally just be at the sheaf DJing, yeah. literally playing like top 40 bangers or whatever. And I would be like enjoying myself so much just because of the, how people are reacting. You know, it, it doesn't matter what I'm playing. Like, that's that's not the thing to me. Like, I, I don't mind what it is, but, like, it's just being able to, like, watch people have, like, such a good time um, that really, you know, hits the spot. Definitely. And also, before we start asking silly questions, I'll say that so many times. Um, yeah. I just want to say thank you on behalf of me and our community for this conversation really important really special so we are very grateful for that and you know sharing stories and sharing experiences isn't the easiest thing for a lot of people so we do really appreciate that um i say that now to say you've had a big night you've woken up the next morning and you're picking up a takeaway feed and i'm talking big chain takeaway like you know the big dogs and i don't know if you eat meat or not which might impact this question but um, what's the goat takeaway, do you think, just generally, like, you know? The goat takeaway? Oh, man. Look, anything that just, like, look, this is easy. It's just easy. Like, everyone's probably thinking it right now, but, like, you cannot go wrong with a kebab, I tell you right now. <laughs> Correct answer. But, like, in saying that, like... I wish I was in Sydney for Bubba's place. Crazy. But like those guys, um, yeah, killing it right now. So if you guys have a chance, please go down to Bubba's place because that is the goat of all places right now. And if I could choose to eat that for the rest of my life, it would be those guys right <laughs> now. Like they're just, whatever they touch, you know. Yeah, so shout out to those guys. Massive shout out. And that wasn't planned. Close friends of the show. We, <laughs> massive shout out. Sponsor sponsor this podcast. Please. please. And last question. Um, if you had to nominate one person that 
deserves an interview, deserves to have their story told. Someone you want to throw in the deep end on Parry Talks. Um, who should I interview? Who'd be great to chat to? Who deserves this platform? Ooh. And we go global now as well. Oh, yeah, global. We can go anywhere because of the power of Zoom, as they say. Um, man, it's true. Man, I, I, I just want to represent anyone who's like, you know, coming from the Middle East, um, you know, right now. And there's a lot of like amazing, amazing uh, producers out there. And I need to like make sure I'm pronouncing this right. So. Okay, so there's this guy over from Cairo um, who is an absolute machine and you need to get into him, but he's called Free, uh, Free Faz. And I, I say that in a way because I know it's pronounced differently. Yeah. But when we like, you know, when you read it out, it's just going to be Free Faz. But um, that guy is just like a, an amazing producer out of Cairo, um, just like real like distort distorted like you know bass and like the the way he his the use of his like his percussion um it's just like next level it's like like listening to the future you know of um club music and this guy's like you know 10 years ahead so i will send you every single information that you need from this guy yeah um, perfect. Parry Talks, Mokta, thank you once again. Um, if you're listening to it now, go stream Silk, go buy it on Bandcamp, of course, if you can. Um, and importantly as well, um, this Thursday, oh no, if you're listening to this like in the first couple of days it's released, Thursday night, 6 or 8 p.m., Mokta and his house uh, hopping on Nomad Radio for a very cheeky guest mix. It's going to be fire. It's going to be energy. I've heard. I've had rumors about this mix for weeks, for months. But yeah, um, very grateful. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Russ.